Come on, anybody love Jesus today? Come on, whether you're in the building or online, would you give God just the best praise that you got? Come on, you could do better than that. Hallelujah. How many just thankful that you are still here? Come on, sometimes that's your testimony. I didn't win the lottery, I didn't get a new car, but hello, I'm still here. And I think that's something to thank God for. Don't ever get it twisted. Your alarm clock did not wake you up today. Come on, there's a God in heaven that kept you alive all throughout the night, woke you up today. And if you got a pulse, come on, somebody, you got a purpose. And, uh, man, I am beyond excited to be back at People's Church. This is my 1,000th time here. Uh, something like that. Pastor Herbert told the truth. I've been coming so many uh, for so many years, and I don't uh, take it lightly. I really consider it an honor and a privilege because I love this house. It's been amazing. We were just talking in the back about what God has done over these last eight years. You do know you are a part of a phenomenal church. You've got to know that. Hear me. Three people clapped. I'm going to give the rest of you a chance to join in and online. God's hand is on this church, and it's just been incredible to watch even during this season. I think that the litmus test of leadership is not uh, how you lead in times of convenience and comfort, but it's when it's times of challenge and controversy. And I have watched uh, Pastor Herbert and Tiffany lead with such poise and excellence throughout this entire year and what's been going on around the world, watching him post videos from his driveway to doing push-ups to whatever he's got to do to make sure you get hope and get encouraged. Don't you ever take the gift God has given you and Pastor Herbert and Tiffany Cooper for granted. Come on, can we give honor where honor is doing? Thank God for them. Y'all could do better than that. My wife and I love you guys so much and value your friendship. And uh, man, I'm excited about this word today. I want to jump straight into it. Go with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And I want to look at verses 14 through 21. The gospel according to Mark chapter 8. We'll start at verse number 14 and we'll land at verse 21. When you are ready to read it, say yeah. If you are going to look at the screen, say yeah. If you brought a Bible with you or got a real Bible open at home, say yeah. Hello, somebody. Super safe saints. You know you for real when you got the real word with you. <laughs> I'm playing. Look at what it says. Mark chapter 8, start at verse 14. It says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? How I many you know when Jesus asks you a question, that question is never for him. It's always for you. There is something he's trying to get you to understand that you're not seeing. He says, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? I want to tag a title to this passage of scripture and preach to you for a little bit from this idea. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. Would you do me a favor? Don't touch your neighbor, uh, but look at your neighbor right in the face and just say, neighbor, 
Come on, you know I can see you, right? Except if you're, if you're, not on, if you're online. Come on, just look at him. Say, neighbor, don't forget to remember. Come on, look at another neighbor that is socially distanced from you and look them right in their eyeballs and say, other neighbor, you're my second option. <laughs> but I want to tell you, don't forget to remember. And my title's already preaching because how many of you know in challenging seasons, we have the tendency to remember the things we should forget, and we forget the things we should remember. Come on, I'm the only one, like, whenever I'm going through, like, a dark season, or I'm not feeling good, how come it's not a, I don't remember, like, the encouraging text messages or the great emails I've gotten. No, I remember the messages from the people that ain't got no profile pic on their page. <laughs> They got something crazy to say. Those comments come to my mind because we have the tendency in challenging seasons to remember the things we should forget, and we forget the things that we should remember. But there's something that Jesus is trying to get the disciples and you and I to remember from this passage, and that's where we're going today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every single person that is watching this right now. Thank you they're not watching this by accident. Holy Spirit, help us to lean in to hone in on what you are saying to us. Lord, thank you that your word is light and it is revelation. And we're ready to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, everybody said, don't forget to remember. Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that the year 2020 still isn't over. Come on, is it just me? Or does it feel like this year has been going on for half a century? Come on, I don't think it's an exaggeration or hyperbole to say that this has been the year that has changed the world. Come on, every year has its challenges. Every year has its problems. But not every year has such a sudden paradigm shift where you are left with more complexity than there is clarity. Uh, there seems to be more questions than there are answers. You're trying to figure out, do I work for a home or am I living at work? Uh, am I an entrepreneur or am I a homeschool teacher now? Just questions that 2020 has brought. 2020, the irony of that number, the year that we associate, the number rather that we associate with vision. And yet this is the year that we are seeing things that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw coming. And if you're like me, earlier this year, I was having intense intercession, uh, also known as complaining. And I was telling God, uh, I'm seeing some things that I was not planning for. And God said something to me that I want to share with you today. He said, Robert, don't forget to remember you prayed for this year. I said, hold up, wait a minute. No, I did not pray for anything I'm seeing right now. God said, no, you got anointed amnesia. Don't forget to remember you prayed for this year because you're the one that said at the beginning of this year, God, I want you to change me this year. Yeah, you're the one that said, God, I want to go deeper in my relationship with you this year. You're the one that said, God, whatever it takes for me to get more of you, I'm ready to do it. I was indignant. I said, hold on, God, I didn't say no such thing. When did I say that? You know it's bad when God takes you to your own Instagram page and makes you watch a clip of the first sermon you preached in 2020. Can I show you that clip of my first message from 2020? Watch this. This is what God wants from you in 2020.
whatever it takes. I didn't know it was going to be this. Oh, and isn't it funny, the disconnect that many of us have between who we want to become and what we want God to do in our lives and what it will actually take for that to come to pass. Come on, we say things like, oh, God, I want you to change me, but we don't want to be challenged. We're like, God, I want to go deeper in you, but we don't want to be disturbed or disrupted. We say stuff like, oh, God, you know, I really want to trust you, but we don't want our bank account to get too low. Isn't it funny, the disconnect, the chasm between who we want to become and what it's going to take for that to come to pass. But can I tell some Somebody who's watching online or in the building that God will disrupt you. God will wake you up. God will wreck your calendar. Please believe he did not cause this pandemic but he sure is using this pandemic to wake some of us up to push you out of complacency and apathy. God will disrupt you. And we don't like that because many of us think that to be a disciple of Jesus means that he'll keep your life comfortable. But can I tell you, he will disrupt and disturb you. That's what Jesus did on the earth. He was always disturbing people. Every day he woke up, the disciples would look at him like, what are we going to do today, Jesus? He's like, the same thing we do every day. We are going to comfort the disturbed, and we're going to disturb the comfortable. Oh, yeah, we're going to comfort the disturbed, and we are going to disturb the comfortable. And if you are his disciple, please believe he will disturb you. And that's what's happening in my text today. Jesus, he's on a boat with his disciples, and he's a little bit annoyed. He's a little bit perturbed. And as they get on the boat, they discuss how they only have one loaf of bread. And when they say that, Jesus looks at them and says, watch out, be careful. They're like, what, a storm coming? What you talking about? He's like, no, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Only people on the boat are Jesus and the disciples and one loaf of bread. He's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the disciples are like, what is Jesus saying? The Pharisees aren't on this boat. Herod's not on this boat. And I love it because this is classic Jesus. How many of you know conversations with Jesus often got confusing? Oh, they had to get confusing. That's why, that's why it makes me laugh when people today were like, oh, it would have been awesome to hang out with the physical Jesus. No, it wouldn't. No, you would have been confused just like the disciples, okay? Because Jesus, he is fully God and fully man. He was not just a good man. He was a God man. He was God in flesh, deity and humanity housed in one body. And when you are talking to somebody that is fully God and fully man, how many of the conversation will get confusing? Because sometimes the God in him is talking and sometimes the humanity in him is talking and he will leave you dazed and confused, scratching your head trying to figure out the words that are coming out of his mouth. Come on, there's so many examples. One of my favorites, you remember the first miracle of Jesus? He turned the water into wine. Remember how that miracle started? His mama, his mama comes up to him and says, baby, they just ran out of wine at the wedding. Jesus looks at his mama and says, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my time yet. That's why I know Jesus didn't have a black mama. Ain't no way in the world you're going to tell your mama, woman, what that got to do with me? That is his response to them running out of wine. She said they're running out of wine. He said, woman, it's not my time. What does time have to do with wine? 
He is fully God and fully man. And the God in him knew that that wine is a metaphor. It is a picture for his blood that was going to be shed on the cross. And how many know his blood could not run out? It had to be enough to cover my sin and cover your sin. His blood had to be enough. So when she said wine, he started thinking about his time on the cross where his blood was going to be shed. And he said, woman, it's not my time. Conversations with Jesus could often be confusing. So when they're on the boat discussing how they have one loaf of bread, Jesus is subliminally saying to them, you don't have one loaf of bread on this boat. There's two loaves of bread on this boat because you are holding bread and you are looking at bread. And bread said, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. What is yeast? Yeast is a fungi. It is a fungi that if you put in bread, in the dough of bread, just a little bit of yeast has the power to affect the totality of the bread. In the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for unbelief. It's a metaphor for sin. It's also a metaphor for pride because you know yeast is what causes the bread to rise is what causes the bread to get arrogant to get puffed up he said be careful of mixing pride unbelief and sin in the purity of who i am it will contaminate the bread of life he said be careful of the yeast of the pharisees the religious system and of herod the political system because the pride of religion and the pride of politics when you start mixing religion and politics in the purity of the bread of life who is Jesus how many know religion and politics will contaminate the bread so it says be careful of mixing it in the purity of the bread the disciples still didn't get it they didn't know he was talking about the purity of himself the bread they thought he was talking about provision the actual bread so they start looking at Jesus saying see he's mad because we only got one loaf of bread we should have I told you to get more bread Jesus like no I'm not talking about that bread I'm talking about me but since you want to talk about that bread and provision okay let's review when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand how many leftovers did you have They said 12. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many leftovers did you have? They said seven. He said, okay, so the first time I did the miracle, we fed more people with less amount of bread, and we had more leftovers. Y'all sitting on this boat tripping because it's 12 of y'all and one loaf of bread? I think you're going to be okay. You know why? Because I'm on your boat, and I am the bread of life, and if you got me, you got every single thing you need. But these clueless disciples still didn't get it, and they thought he was talking about actual bread and not the purity of who he was, and they were confused. But Jesus had to remind them of the miracle that he did before that they were so quick to forget. Now, here's what I want to pause in this message, and I want to file a complaint. I want to file a complaint, uh, not with the CDC. I want to file a complaint with the SSC, the Sunday School Committee, okay? I want to file a complaint because uh, your boy was raised in church. I was raised in church, okay? Old school church. We had to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer service. Old school church. Like, thank God, kids is opening back up, okay? Make sure you come back with your kids, do the four-week challenge. But in my day, kids' church was on the front row with a coloring book, and you better not chew gum and be too loud. That was just raised. Old school church. Vacation Bible school. Old school. Like, we couldn't even celebrate Halloween, okay? We had this generation knows nothing about hallelujah night okay (laughs) 
hallelujah night. Okay, that's where you had to dress up as a Bible character. Y'all don't know my struggle. You know how embarrassing it is to walk in a party city. Talking about y'all got that Ezekiel outfit. Y'all got that Isaiah. <laughs> Gosh, oh, school church. And in all my years of growing up in church, I don't ever remember any of my Sunday school teachers telling me that the miracle where Jesus took the fish and the bread and multiplied it, he did that miracle twice. That miracle happened twice. Not just the first time where they hijacked the little boy's lunch. That happened twice. He fed the 5,000 and then he turned around and did it again and he fed the 4,000. And so many people focus on the feeding of the 5,000 and they forget the feeding of the 4,000. But I want to pause and thank God today. Not just for the feeding of the 5,000. I want to thank God for the feeding of the 4,000. Because the feeding of the 4,000 says to me that if God has ever opened up a door in your life once, that if God has ever healed you before once, that if God has ever come through for you before once, come on, how many know he's got the power and the ability to do it again? If he did it once, he can do it again. Oh, I got to pause for a praise break. Somebody ought to just give God some praise and thank him that if he has ever come through for you before, he can do it again. If he's ever healed you before, he can do it again. Oh, look at the greatness of our God that he fed the 5,000 and he turned around a few months later and he did it again. And I don't know who this is for today, but do not allow the difficulty of this season to make you doubt the power or the ability of your God to come through. Oh, if he's come through for you before, he can do it again. See, that's why every once in a while you got to cut off the TV and cut off Fox and CNN and NBC and ABC and HIJK LMNOP. Cut off all them letters and just start thinking about the ways that God has brought you through. Start thinking about the car wreck that could have killed you, but God protected you. Start thinking about the moments your back was up against the wall, but God showed up. Oh, it's my history with God that gives me confidence for my present because if he did it before, he can do it again. Would you look at your neighbor? Don't touch her, but just say he can do it again. Oh, come on. Just tell him he can do it again. Somebody watching online, I dare you to type in the chat. He can do it again. He fed the 5,000 then he turned around a few months later and did it again and he fed the 4,000. I think we have to look at this miracle. We got to look at this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, perhaps more than any other miracle in the Bible, because this is one of the only miracles, don't miss this, that is mentioned in all four Gospels. All four Gospel writers feel the need to tell us about this incredible miracle where Jesus fed the multitude. And the prevalence of this miracle lets me know that Jesus is not just concerned with the condition of my soul, he's also concerned about my circumstance. That God is not just concerned with the spiritual, but thank God he's concerned about the physical as well. That he cares about our needs. Don't ever allow the challenges of your life to make you doubt whether God cares about your needs. Because that's what this miracle says, is that he doesn't just care about the spiritual my soul in eternity, but thank God he cares about the physical. He cares about some groceries. Come on, somebody. He cares about your bills being paid. This is, this is critical for you to understand because if there's anything the enemy wants to attack in your life, he wants to attack the idea that God is good. 
that God is for you, that God is actually concerned about what you're going through and he will do it in a season like we're in right now. He will whisper in your ear that God does not care about you. He's not good because the enemy knows he can't attack God's greatness, but he will attack God's goodness. He will attack his goodness, but his miracles and this miracle particularly reveals that God is not just great, he's good. That if it matters to you, it matters to him. Because look at Jesus. He had the oratorical ability to captivate thousands of people. You understand that the feeding of the 5,000, they forgot to eat for a whole day just listening to Jesus preach. In the feeding of the 4,000, they didn't eat for three days listening to Jesus preach. So you think you can preach? Come on, you can't preach until people for three days are like, forget Chick-fil-A, forget everything. I just want to hear this message. (laughs) Come on, some of y'all watching online right now about to log off. Don't log off, okay? Three days they forgot to eat just listening to the master orator, communicator, preach. That's how good he could preach. But in the middle of his preaching, he didn't do like preachers today, just leave you there and the servant going, when is this going to end? He interrupts his own message and goes, wait a minute, we got to stop. Why? Because they're hungry. I got to feed them. He cares about your need. Not only is that a message of Jesus' concern, concern, but it's also a mandate for the church. That How many know the church cannot just be concerned with the condition of people's souls if we're not actually meeting their needs? Come on, thank God you're a part of a church that doesn't just preach the gospel, but will send thousands of dollars to Convoy of Hope and actually meet the needs of the people that are around us. And that's what Jesus is doing in this miracle. Now, here's what I want to do. All that was my introduction. Um, I I want us to really look at these two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, and I want to put them side by side. I want to do like those pictures. Have you ever seen those pictures sometimes in a magazine? It's the same picture, but you've got to circle the differences of the picture. That's what I want to do with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 so we can remember the things that we cannot forget. First thing I noticed is that in both miracles, You had a whole lot of people, but you also had a problem. Both miracles, you got a lot of people. Understand when the Bible says 5,000 and 4,000, that's not including the women and children. It is possible and plausible there were 20,000 people in both of those crowds today. That's a lot of people. And because you got a lot of people, now you got a problem. Don't forget to remember that you are called to problems because you are called to people. Don't forget to remember that you are called to problems because you are called to people. I think this is a message that is so prevalent for today because in this divisive, contentious, drama-filled world in which we live in, how many know it is easy to say, I am through with humans, okay? Nobody talk to me till 2021, okay? I just want to be by myself. Leave me alone. I am done with people. But how many know as a believer, you do not get that option because you are called to problems because you are called to people and God wants to use you to be an answer to the problem. Don't ever shut people off in isolation because you're tired of the drama of people. Because even if you get in isolation, you still got a problem because you can't run away from you. Yes, you still got to face yourself. That's really what that shelter in place order did for a lot of people. Some of us were running from ourselves with our careers, with our busy schedules. And then when the whole world got put on timeout, we were forced to confront some things we didn't want to confront. And some of us had to look in the mirror and realize you are the one that keeps messing me up. Because you cannot run away from problems. You cannot run away from people. The two are connected and God has called you 
to be an answer. That's why in this season, you ought to have grace for difficult people. You know why? Because you're one of them. Amen. <laughs> you're called to problems because you're called to people. Another thing I noticed is that it was the compassion of Jesus that started the miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked at that crowd and said, man, they are sheep without a shepherd. And he was moved with compassion for them. In the feeding of the 4,000, he calls his disciples next to him and says, hey, guess what? I have compassion on these people. It's one of the only times in the Bible Jesus verbally says, I have compassion. That means that don't forget to remember that compassion activates the miraculous. You want to start seeing miracles in your life? Start getting compassionate. You want to start seeing miracles? Stop being stingy and start thinking about somebody else and watch the miraculous happen in your life. Because I'm telling you, compassion activates the miraculous. It was the compassion of Jesus that made him move. And we've got to be aware of this today because how many know there are so many issues in our world, so many problems, and not only problems, you got notifications on your smart device to remind you of all the problems. And if you're not careful, compassion fatigue will sit in. And you're like, well, what can I do? There's so much going on. Forget all of it. But you do not get that luxury as a believer. God's not called you to do everything, but he has called you to do something. And compassion demands action. Yes, that's what compassion is. Compassion is when care and action collide. Compassion activates the miraculous. I, I love what happened with the 4,000 because Jesus looks out and he says something interesting. He says, I can't send them away home hungry. He said, some of them are going to faint along the way because some of them have come from afar off. They've come from afar off. That means Jesus in his compassion in a multiplicity of thousands of people, he knew how far some of them had come from. He knew their address. That means you cannot have compassion unless you have clarity about where people have come from, unless you know their journey, unless you know their story, unless you care to know you cannot have compassion. Let me give you an example. You ever been in like a heated argument with somebody and maybe they're talking to you crazy and they're going off and they forgot you have not always been saved? Yeah, somebody talks to you like that, like, oh, yeah, don't get it twisted. There's some words I know that ain't in the King James Bible, okay? You ever been in one of those situations where it's like, okay, I will raise more than a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And, and your heart's just palpitating and sweat's coming down your forehead. You're like, woo, I'm, I'm, they don't know. I'm about to let them have it. And don't you just wish in that moment that a pause button could be pushed? And all of a sudden, you could just get clarity on where they came from on how they were brought up, who hurt them, who was in their life, who wasn't in their life. Maybe if you could just get clarity on what they went through that day. How many know your response would change? Why? Because you got clarity on where they came from. I'm telling you, you cannot have compassion unless you care about people's story. And compassion always activates the miraculous. Can I take you deeper? I also notice that in both miracles, the disciples saw the magnitude of the crowd and the magnitude of the crowd made them ask the wrong questions. They immediately asked the wrong question. They saw all those people and they said, uh, it would take a half year's wages to feed this many people. Are we supposed to spend that much money on bread? Wrong question. In the feeding of the 4,000, they said, well, where can we even get enough bread to feed these people in this place? Wrong question. Don't forget to remember to always ask the right question. Always ask the right question. Sometimes when we have problems or situations that are bigger than us, we always ask the wrong questions. And here's what I found. Worry 
is the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of y'all missed that. That's tweetable. I'm going to rewind it give it to you again. <laughs> Worry is the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you in the room and watching online, the reason you've been so worried and so stressed and up at night is because you've been up asking the wrong questions. Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you like, give us some scripture for it, Robert. I'll give you scripture for it. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is red letter. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says... So do not worry. Jesus said, don't worry, saying, here come the questions, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see the connection between worrying and questions, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What about my retirement? What about the paycheck? What about the 401k? What about the house? What about the car? What about the bills? Oh my goodness, what if there's another shutdown? What if I got to homeschool teach these kids the entire year? What if they make me wear my mask all the time? What about this? What about that? Ooh, you just sneezed. What if I got it? Oh, what about what? Wrong questions. <laughs> wrong questions. Now don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you shouldn't have wisdom. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned, but you should not be stressed asking yourself the wrong questions. Can I give you a better question? Here's a better question. Jesus asked it in both miracles. This is the better question. Here it is. How many loaves do you have? That's the question Jesus asked in both miracles. How many loaves do you have? That is a good question. None of you shout it because you don't realize how good it is, but I'm going to show you in a minute. How many loaves do you have? That is a good question. I like that question, not only because it's Jesus asked it, because that question, it doesn't lead to worry. That question leads to work. That makes you question, makes you start looking to see what has God given me that yes, some things have walked away. Yes, I've lost some things, but what do I have left? Why am I still here? Come on, you had a purpose before there was a global pandemic, but the enemy wants you to focus on what you've lost. But when you say, how many loaves do you have? That makes you start looking for what you have left. How many loaves do you have? That is a question you should be asking yourself right now. You should take inventory on what you have left. Yes, you lost some things. Yes, you lost your job, but you are still here. That means God's not through with you yet. How many loaves do you have? Oh, I'm preaching to myself. Are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. How many loaves do you have? See, some of y'all don't like that because it's easier to look on Instagram and like pictures of everybody else's loaves instead of taking inventory on how many loaves do you have? What has God given you? Let me show y'all something real quick. You know I got to have a visual. See, this right here, these are my loaves. I brought this. Ask the creative team. Ask the dream team. They didn't bring this. I brought this straight from my pantry. Straight from my pantry in Dallas, Texas. I brought this to show somebody this is what I have. To show you the power of looking at what God has given you. Because God is not going to hold you accountable for what he gave somebody else. He's going to make you see what do you have. How many loaves do you have? This might not be your brand. Guess what? It don't matter. It's mine. This might not be gluten free. That's cool. But this is what I have and you have something how many loaves do you have what has God given you see some of y'all still judging my illustration because you're like well you ain't got no fish 
They had fish too. Well, we didn't have any fish in the pantry, okay? I brought what I had. We bought some bread. And the other reason I didn't bring any fish is because Jesus never asked for fish. In both miracles, he never asked, how many loaves and fish do you have? He only asked, how many loaves do you have? That means it was in the process of looking for the loaves that they found out, wait a minute, we got some fish too. That means it's in the process of looking for what you do have that God has a way of revealing some stuff that you didn't even know you had. But if you'll stop complaining about what you lost and start looking for what you got left, God said, I'll reveal some extra stuff that you didn't even know you had. Oh, I need somebody to give God some praise and thank him. If you know that if you look for what you got, he'll reveal stuff you didn't know you had. Is there anybody in 2020 can testify? I found some strength I didn't know I had. I found a prayer life I didn't know I had. I found worship I didn't know I had. But you won't know you got it until you look for what you do have. Preach, Robert. Hallelujah. The fish was extra. He never asked for fish. He only asked for loaves. But if you don't take the time to look for the loaves, you will never find the fish. It was in the process of looking for the loaves. They found we don't just got bread. We got fish too. But how I many know as awesome as it was to find the fish which was extra? When you're looking out at 20,000 people, and all you got is a few pieces of bread and a few things of fish. How I many know you still got to conclude it's not enough? It's not enough. Am I the only one that's ever looked at the demand on your life and then looked at what was in your hands and just found out it's not enough? I don't have enough to be the parent he's called me to be. I don't have enough to be the leader he's called me to be. I don't have enough to lead the business he's called me to lead. You don't have enough when you look at the demand it's not enough and can I tell you it will never be enough you will never be enough let me mess up all your self help stuff you will never be alive you won't if your life is going to stay in your hands it will never be enough if it's going to stay in your hands because in your hands means you have to control it and if 2020 hadn't taught you anything it should have taught you, you are not in control. All the control freaks just resign after this year. It's never going to be enough in your hands. The miracle starts when you get it out of your hands and you put it in God's hands. Let him figure it out. Say, God, I'm giving you this marriage. God, I'm giving you this business. God, I don't know what to do with this child. I'm getting on my knees and I'm giving you this child. I'm putting it in your hands. I can't control it. I got to give it to you. I'm not enough for it. I've got to put it in his hands. And they took the fish and the loaves. They put it in his hands. And look what Jesus does. He takes it. He blesses it. And then he breaks it and gives it right back to them to feed the crowd. He takes it. He blesses it. Then he breaks it and gives it right back to them to feed the crowd. Now, we read a story like that because we know how the story ends. We're like, "Woo, hallelujah. We start shouting at the end. But put yourself in the text. You already know what you have is not enough. You bring it to Jesus. And all he does is say, thank you, Father. Breaks it and hands it right back to you to feed the crowd. It's 20,000 people. I would have been like, uh, you want to pray for this one more time? It's a lot of people out here. 
You understand that the bread did not multiply in the hands of Jesus. It did not multiply in his hands. That would not have taken faith. They did not hand what was not enough to Jesus, and then immediately it just started multiplying. Then they would have been turning up like, oh, let's go, let's go, get the containers. No, all he did was, thank you, break it. Gave it right back to him. So they're still holding what's not enough. But guess what? At least it's blessed now. At least his hand is on it now. At least it's covered now. See, some of y'all are looking at your life at what's a little bit. But I'm telling you, if you give it to him, if God blesses your little bit, you're way better than somebody that has a whole lot without the blessing of God. Come on, I know people got so much money in the bank and got no peace at all. But I'd rather have a little bit and have God's blessing on a little bit. Because if he blesses a little bit... Oh, I got everything I need. Hallelujah. Still wasn't enough. And he gives them the arduous task of feeding 20,000 people with just 12 of them. Come on, Jesus. This is not efficient. You're the savior of the universe. You've got all power. You could have just wiggled your nose and snapped your fingers and made everybody be full. You could have set up an in-and-out fish and bread station and got everybody through expeditiously. Why are 12 dudes passing out fish and bread to 20,000 people? I'll tell you why. Because multiplication happens through interaction. He said, I want the miracle to take long because I want you to see the faces of the people that you're passing out the bread to. I want you to interact with them. I want you to feel the pressure of reaching down and knowing that it wasn't enough bread and you're down to your last piece. But right when you reach out to give it again, all of a sudden it's more. All of a sudden you have what you need. Come on, anybody ever been there where you were down to the last bit, but somehow, some way, God came through, but as you give out have what you need because multiplication it happens through interaction he wanted it to take long he wanted them to interact and see the faces of the people he was passing the bread to that's why the enemy is attacking the church now more than ever he don't want us to interact with people because multiplication happens through interaction. When I connect with you, not based on your political preference or the color of your skin, but when I connect with you based off the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and we got to help hurting people, multiplication happens through interaction. Watch this. I'm, I'm done because I give the disciples a pass on the first time. I get why you're nervous the first time you saw the crowd up until that point we have no point of reference for Jesus feeding thousands of people I give you a pass on the 5,000 not on the 4,000 because as soon as you saw the 4,000 now you have history with God as soon as you saw the crowd the second time you should say oh been there done that come on get the fish get the bread we done this before it's about to go down we know how this miracle works why are you stressing the second time Maybe it's a picture of you and I as disciples that many times we are so quick to forget how God has brought us through before. But I also think it's deeper than that. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, the big issue of the disciples was the price of the bread. Read it when you get home. They did the math. They said it would take a half year's wages. Are we supposed to spend that much money to feed these people? The issue was the price. Feeding of the 4,000, the issue wasn't the price. The issue seemed to be the place and the people. Because they said, well, where can we even find enough bread to feed these people in this place? Which made me go to the maps in the back and figure out what was that place and who were those people. 
Because in the feeding of the 5,000, it happened near Bethsaida in the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory. But the feeding of the 4,000 happened in the region of the Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Gentile territory in an area that they had been avoiding their entire life with a people that they had been avoiding and a people they thought they were better than. That's where the feeding of the 4,000 took place. So no wonder they had an issue with those people and that place. They'd have been avoiding that place their entire life. So the feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip to break the disciples, to let them know if you're going to be my disciple, you don't get to pick who you're going to hand out the bread to. I am that that bread that you're handing out and the bread of life is for everybody and if you're going to be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread out to because everybody needs the bread who is Jesus. Old people need Jesus. Young people need Jesus. Black folks need Jesus. White folks need Jesus. Democrats need Jesus. Republicans need Jesus. Independents need Jesus. Every single person needs that bread that died and got up from the grave so we could be full. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody give them the best praise that you got in this place today. You don't get to pick. You don't get to pick who you're going to pass the bread out to. Everybody needs this bread of life. The feeding of the 4,000 was a field trip to break the disciples' mentality over who they thought deserved to get the bread. Can you see them handing out the bread to the 4,000? People they didn't even like talking about here, 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 here. <laughs> With an attitude. But Jesus said, you got to go there. You got to go where you don't want to go because I am the bread you're passing out. And here's what I found out about life. I'll leave you with this. What Jesus did with the bread is what he did with the disciples and what he will do with you because Jesus will take you he will bless you but he will also break you and the breaking is not to destroy you the breaking is so he can use you more he will break mindsets he will break ideologies he will break things that you thought to always be true he will break whatever he needs to break so he can use you more so that you can comfort somebody with the comfort that you have been comforted with. He will break you. Can I tell you this year? This year has been a breaking for me. It's been a breaking. I preach messages on depression. I preach series on anxiety. But until 2020, it came to my door. Until everything was shut down. Couldn't travel, couldn't go out that I started dealing with the same things I had preached messages about. This has been a breaking year. Immediately our ministry lost over 40% of its revenue. A breaking year. Add to that racial injustice. Seeing innocent people. It was a breaking year. Till I got to a place that said, God, I'm tired. I didn't want to even feel like preaching anymore. It was a breaking year for me. But I took my own field trip. I took a field trip just like the disciples had a field trip on Father's Day. I went to Pittsburgh, Texas, Pittsburgh, Texas, that great metropolis. 
Pittsburgh, Texas, because I remember my mom telling stories about the church that my grandfather and my grandmother built in Pittsburgh, Texas. I remember my mama telling stories of my grandmama laying hands on me when I was three years old in this church, saying, God's going to use you to preach the gospel around the world. I had to go there. I'd never been to the church before. They got a picture of me standing in front of that church in Pittsburgh, Texas, the church that my grandparents built. Never had more than 50 members in that church. But can I tell you, in the season of depression, I sat in that little bitty church, and God met me in that church. And he started reminding me that the same God that brought my grandparents through will bring me through. The same God that showed up in their life will show up in my life too. He reminded me that the breaking is not to destroy you, it's to make you stronger so he can use you more. know who Harold Tudman is. You don't know who Fannie Mae Tudman is, but every time you hear Robert Madu preach, guess what? You are hearing Harold and Fannie Mae Tudman because of their faithfulness to 50 people in a little bitty church in East Texas. And I say that to tell somebody who's going through the biggest breaking of your life right now that the breaking is not to destroy you. The breaking is so he can use you more so that you can comfort somebody with the comfort you have been comforted with, that after this year, you're going to look back and testify, and you're going to tell people, this is how you make it through that. This is how you raise kids by yourself. This is how you cry yourself to sleep, but still get up in the morning and do what God's called you to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, I want to pray for people who are going through the breaking to remind you not to quit, not to give up. The breaking is not to destroy you. And so he can use you more. Father, thank you that you will take us. You will bless us. But Father, thank you for the breaking. God, maybe we can't even see it right now. But Lord, by faith, we say thank you for the breaking because of what the breaking is producing. You just want to use us more so that somebody else can know that you are the bread of life that truly satisfies in Jesus' name.